Welcome to VMware's Multi-Cloud Podcast. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my co-host, David Jasso. Today, we're going to be covering improving multi-cloud management using machine learning with our guest today, Jad Elzane. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, we're back into the new year. I'm excited to have another year here today, and so uh, let's get started. Yeah, excited. First show of uh, 2020, 2021, 2021. Got to get used to saying that. Hey, uh, we have uh, with us today, uh, Jad Elzine. Uh, we're going to let Jad introduce himself in a second here and talk about um, you know, what he's doing with VMware, but also um, some of his past history. It's pretty interesting. Hey, Jad, welcome. Hey, Dave. Hey, Eric. Uh, welcome to 2021. Um, I am Jad Elzane. I'm a, a technology director in uh, Cloud Management BU at VMware. Um, a little bit of background for, for those who, uh, who, who don't know me. I'm, um, I've been at VMware actually as of December, 11 years. I've been in this industry about 24 years. Uh, I was a customer for about half of that. Um, and, uh, and today what I focus on on a day-to-day -day is, uh, is really the, the, you know, the, the VMware cloud management portfolio, the emerging portfolio, emerging technologies, the adoption an understanding of those emerging technologies like machine learning. Uh, and I also manage a small team of uh, ML developers called the Advanced Development Team. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this podcast. Appreciate you having me. Cool. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to focus um, on this podcast around, um, you know, IT operations management, you know, application management, infrastructure management, those kinds of topics and, and looking at ML. But maybe we can, before we get there, just back up and spend um, a few minutes, not a lot. And I know a lot of people have heard about AI and also ML, but maybe it gives like a quick, you know, five minute tutorial. It doesn't even have to be around uh, what ML is and how you think about it. And then maybe some examples and sort of very common to people, sort of more probably consumer oriented. Then we'll jump into the topic of uh, sure. operations. Sure. Well, maybe because this is a relatively new topic, uh, well known, but new at the same time. And it's actually a catch-all uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, and actually the, the, the catch-all terminology is AI, right? Um, the artificial intelligence component. And we've seen AI on slides. We've seen AI on ads and and sales pitches and, and all that. But, but what we are really talking about today is, um, is specifically around machine learning, neural networks, uh, the algorithms, the data science. Um, and uh, and you know, we'll, we'll start peeling that apart um, throughout this talk. But uh, from a high level, um, I'll start with what it isn't. Uh, it's not robots. It's not machines doing your job. Um, it's, I guess, a could, but uh, that's not really the intention from a cloud management perspective. Um, it's, it's really, I, I like to put it in, in this perspective. Um, you know, if you rewind VMware 15 years ago, right, when, when we had like the small tiny teams going out there and explaining virtualization, and it was about all this value you can gain by, by virtualizing, going from physical to virtual, and, uh, and what that actually means from a, from a uh, value perspective, right? It's money in the bank. The more you virtualize, the more you consolidate it. That was money in the bank. And our customers, you know, they were, they could easily see where that, uh, where that value benefit is. And then you fast forward and, and more and more virtualization occurred, higher levels of, of consolidation. And anybody who knows me and my background, um, the, the next big step was automation, right? 
And, and so we'd have these conversations with our customers that say, hey, I'm highly virtualized, right? Uh, or I'm fully virtualized. So are you telling me now that um, you know, there's no more savings to be had? And the answer from VMware was, no, let's automate. So virtualize automation and, uh, and, and you know, a lot of the, the other uh, automation portfolio tools that we have across the business. Um, that was again, money in the bank because I automated, I was able to replace very expensive manual human cost. So those folks can go and do more productive things while automation handled the repetitive stuff. Yeah, and I just to sort of like to, you know, put that in context, uh, you know, a lot of that automation, you know, starting to happen at the same time that cloud was coming into the marketplace as well, right? So you're yeah. like, people could see what automation meant, this whole notion of self-service and, you know, instant access to resources, those kinds of things, right? Yep, exactly, exactly. And and it's, you know, just like how virtualization became, became really not a, no longer an option. It was a requirement for business, right? Um, automation has also hit that threshold now where, uh, you have to automate for you to be able to keep up with the demand, the line of business, the, the developer uh, requirements, and, and of course your business requirements. And automation um, has been mainstream for several years now. So then you come back to the table and you say, well, well now what, right? Every business, every one of our customers is looking for ways to streamline, um, whether it's because of stressed resources or because you've got a business that's just going out of control, especially when you have something crazy like 2020 hit and there's Everybody has to think of new ways to do business. Automation played a big role there. So the, the question to now what is let's double down on automation. And, and instead of being the, the, the people involved in the middle of creating those workflows, those pipelines and all that automation, this is where we can start looking at technologies and emerging tech, which is now more affordable and available to us, such as machine learning. And so with, with ML, to answer your question, um, this is really uh, leveraging data science, which has been around for decades, um, and, and uh, some select algorithms and a lot of internal development and IP um, to be able to optimize, automate, um, and, and manage infrastructure in ways that is just either too tedious or not very cost-effective for humans and, and your, your practitioners to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, it's about optimizing the, the, the person's um, job workflow, right? Um, and, and being able to do more with less. And that's, that's just an ongoing theme. So what we're doing specifically with ML without going deep into what ML is, is, um, is, is essentially using those capabilities and those technologies to, um, to, to take automation to that, to that level where it's essentially self-driving. And you've heard uh, self-driving from, um, from VMware for a couple of years now, but what we're talking about here is this closed loop of automation, learning, experience building, um, and, and churning of data and analysis to then go and invoke an action and you rinse and repeat and you keep doing that. And it's really that ML that's doing that in the background under this AI bubble um, and what we'll talk about today is how this is impacting day-to-day -day operations and day-to-day -day cloud management and what it's going to do to impact the industry as a whole. And we'll dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, I think maybe you could just, um, you know, again, I think people are familiar, but they're not, you know, everybody hears about machine learning, but it's sort of like, what are the fundamentals? You know, I'm thinking mm -hmm. more around the, the notion that you have a model and you're, you're trying to train a model and maybe you can, you know, talk about sort of 
that aspect again not going deep on it because sure. we're going to then look at that yeah. in practice but sort of like the conceptual model of how ml works basically yeah and, and i have something to add there from a question perspective which is is there you know i've heard of self-driving since 2001 right like uh, back at some microsystems where i was working like we had self-driving concepts but it was kind of like concepts but the technology hadn't caught up right like somebody had a vision for it but then you know it turns out to be a lot harder and you actually need the technology to mature around ai and machine learning concepts right and then real databases real 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 constructs real languages and so maybe talk a little bit about the maturity of the software that's come to be now where, you know, Tesla's pushing it, everybody's pushing it. There's industry standards for it now. There's, you know, frameworks for it. Maybe expose us to like how this is matured to the point where now it's ready to actually, you know, be developed and, and implemented and put into production. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at a high level, again, I go back to, to AI and AI, um, we're, we're sticking to high level here, but artificial intelligence has always been, and it was always intended to be, is, is using software, using machines to replicate the way the human mind works. And that's where this learning concept keeps coming up, right? We learn when we go on to the next step, we apply what we've learned to be able to execute that next step. And AI um, leverages what's called a neural network. Well, not all AI, but you know, the topics we're talking about. Learning, right, for sure. Yeah, we're leveraging neural networks. And again, we're looking at the analogy to the human brain, neural networks. Um, and and the, way, the way this works conceptually is that we have, um, we, we, okay, so we have AI, we have machine learning, we have data analytics, which has been on, around as long as IT, right? Um, and analytics is that, is that math. Um, it, it is the crunching of numbers um, that, that heavily supports machine learning. Uh, and we have big data and big data again is, is another one of those uh, token bingo card uh, words that we use and and big data uh, drives analytics which is fed into ml uh, which fits the overall bubble of ai and it, it's all kind of bunched together but they're very uniquely contributing to the overall cause and what we're trying to what we're trying to do here so um you know, very, uh, very high level. Let's let's talk about the algorithms themselves, which is really all the ma where the magic at, uh, is at. From an AI perspective, from a machine learning perspective, from self-driving, um, we we needed to look at what customer problems are. We talked about self-driving and automation, and we needed to take an, the appropriate approach, right? Well, what VMware doesn't want to do is just throw ML and AI all over our slides and say this is all analytics powered. We've done analytics for, for, for as long as um, we've had a portfolio. But really what we wanna do is what are the true customer problems? And what is the reason why this hasn't been adopted already? Um, so first of all, the adoption rate is largely due to trust. It's largely due to cost, uh, the, the infrastructure to, to really start getting value. Uh, you know, racks and racks of GPU and building these neural networks. That's not something customers, our typical customers are gonna go off and do. Um, and then the problem statement, right? The problem is these day-to-day -day things I wanted to, I, I talked about, which are largely becoming more automated, but even then they're, they're tedious, they're, they don't scale. Um, and, and there's a lot of under, misunderstanding of how to operate infrastructure, especially with these modern applications and crazy scale and, and modernized multi-cloud infrastructures. And so our take, um, which started a little 
more than two years ago for this specific project, what used to be called Project Magna, was how do we leverage machine learning, specific algorithms, or which algorithms should we build on top of to go in a, and, and accomplish some of these tasks? Optimization, uh, repetitive uh, operations, um, understanding infrastructure. And so from an ML perspective, um, we, we lean heavily on experience. So that reinforcement learning, um, and in fact, the, the, the capabilities that we've started to release out there are largely based on reinforcement learning. And so what we wanna do is, um, so we leverage uh, reinforcement learning and, and we look at a customer's environment. And I'll just walk you through a scenario. Maybe that will better describe this. Uh, from a, so, so what reinforcement learning does is we, we go in, we collect all this data. That's the analytics, that's the, the big data. And some data is bigger than others, but it's huge pools of data uh, and data lakes. And we analyze that data uh, based on the algorithms that are being used, specifically uh, or specific to each use case. We're looking for, you know, uh, we're looking for KPIs, we're looking for metrics, we're looking for time series data, uh, logs, whatever it might be. But it has to be rich, clean data, uh, or it has to be uh, cleansed in process. Um, so then we analyze it based on what our desired outcome is, um, and we have tools to measure things like what is your current operational state. What is unique about your environment? Um, what, is, uh, what is the need? Right? What is your, your service level objective, for example? Uh, and then what is that based on the key performance indicators um, that, that I'm going to now measure uh, against? And let's just say optimization is the case here. That data is, uh, is analyzed. And then what we do is we look at ways to help you reach your goals. That is the, the entire existence of what we're doing is to help customers meet their operational goals. That's basically, and if we can't do that, the value is null. Um, go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, maybe we can throw something at you, Jed, because I, I think I, I agree hundred percent with you in terms of like um, sort of what ML is and, you know, in terms of reinforcement learning and those kinds of things. One of the things, you know, like what computers enable is to sort of like learn from things you didn't do almost right where it's like you can have all these right. scenarios like at any given time if you're a person you have to choose a path and you don't get to sort of pick all your paths the possible paths you pick a path you move forward and maybe you learn something from it you don't but with machine learning the sort of the attractive part is this notion that at any given time i can spin off like a million alternate universes right you know and say what if i did this what if i did that what and you can mm -hmm. run through all of that and then compare the results. Like what did, what happened if I spun off at a, at a point in time, like a thousand alternatives and said, if I do these things, what happens, right? And you can then say, which one made the world better, right? And sort yeah. of like, and I think we're trying to do a lot of that, right? With yeah, absolutely. operations. You're, you're beat me to the punch. So so absolutely, that's that's the case. And in, in fact, that's our special sauce. And that I was, uh, I'll explain a little bit more. Um, so, you know, once we've collected this data, one of the things we're very able to do now is um, is is analyze it over time, uh, and we've been doing things like uh, you know uh, predictive outcomes and all this stuff for a while. Analysis just is is a is a pretty big bucket of all kinds of capabilities, but um, when when we're able to to do um, what you were just talking about, which is take take everything I know, um, what we will call um, supervised learning right? Everything I know. So take an SDDC stack, for example. There is a lot VMware knows about that SDDC stack. We know how to optimize it. We know how to 
Um, we know how to uh, install it and configure it. We know what best practice is and, and we know what good and bad is and what broken and not is. And, um, but what we don't know is exactly how it's going to behave when 50,000 different customers install it from customer to customer to customer, because we don't have every possible combination of workload and application and stress and, and everything um, that happens. So what we do is we ship products that are optimized for the whole. But these are like German cars, right? You know, when you drive a car uh, off the lot and, and it's got its spec and you're buying it for that, you know, for, for everything it has to offer, what you can do afterwards to tweak it for your behavior is what makes that car so special for those who do that. This is the same concept, right? What we need to be able to do now is say, once I'm installed, how do we use machine learning? How do we use our, our neural networks to be able to build these models based on the unique operational characteristics happening in that environment on day one, the moment you start taking it outside of the out-of-the-box configuration? And then how do I then respond to optimize and operate that environment that is very unique to the applications and the business line of business that's consuming it. And you touched on it um, or you, you hit it uh, directly, which is to be able to do that today um, requires us to do a lot of uh, basically blind testing. So that's supervised learning. That supervised learning is everything we know. Then there's this blindfolded learning, what's called unsupervised learning. Unsupervised learning is, okay, well now, now that I've seen, I, now that I know what I know, what don't I know? And this is where we start crunching numbers and understanding behavior and looking at patterns and doing all kinds of great things. And that's then applied or appended to everything I do know. So now I have a better picture, right? I can go in a room with a blindfold and basically feel my way around the room. And I could probably then come and draw that out for you based on just my memory, right? without the blindfold. I don't think I'd draw it with the blindfold. Then there's a third part of that, and that's the reinforcement learning. And the reinforcement learning in this particular use case is now saying, okay, well, here's everything I know and don't know. Let me try a whole bunch of things to see what works. Now we can do two things. We can hit your production environment and try a whole bunch of things. Not realistic. This Please is don't. why we have <laughs> this is why you have to take the cost of building identical environments uh, for test dev or pre-prod or, or staging. Um, and, and you can't do that in production, especially when you're getting under the covers and getting very intrusive um, uh, or or you know experimenting with uh, with parameters and knobs and levers that uh, that can potentially impact the workload. So what we can do with reinforcement learning and this technology and everything we know and don't know is we, we do what's called a, uh, a digital twin or sidecar model, just like you said. We take all of this uh, environment and we build a digital model of that environment. And that ones and zeros replica of your production vSAN cluster, for example, is now free game. And then we can take this action framework and this is this is the automation piece and says what if I do this and this and a combination of these and this parameter versus that parameter and potentially you know at the scale of SCDC tens of thousands of combinations all done in a digital twin or any number of digital twins and I'll measure the outcome of every single um, uh, change or attribute or manipulation or parameter and I'll say hey does this help me so I'm looking at the KPI. Does this 
make anything incrementally better to help the operator get to their goals, their SLO. And when I find one, even if it's small, I, I confirm it, that model is built and applied. Uh, and when I say applied, I've already confirmed and predicted the outcome of this change in the digital model. And I could go and apply that directly into your production environment. I measure the result, I compare it to what I modeled, I rinse and repeat. This is continuous. This happens um, uh, in ways that, that become very unique to the customer. And we leverage several uh, neighboring technologies too, like transfer learning and, uh, and several other algorithms so that we can understand that if I were to then throw on another host in a cluster or actually scale out my cluster, or add more hosts or do whatever I need to do, um, I could apply everything I've learned immediately so that my time to value uh, raises uh, very quickly. Mm. And so that's where self-driving, that's actually the exact scenario of uh, what we're similar to what we're doing um, for vSAN optimization, for example. Cool. I had a question and Eric jumped into, I mean, it's like, like I, I've, I really sort of gravitated to this notion of digital twin because it's almost like science fiction, right? It's like, yeah. you know, what if the sort of answers this, what if I could run, you know, lit, you know, multiple um, alternative universes, right? What, what happens basically? Is it, is it one digital twin or is it like, because I almost think it's like, are we just spinning off at any given time, like thousands of digital twins or is it like, how does that work basically? So it really depends on, on the use case, um, but where we can, uh, in, in like the, the basics, right? We'll create a single replica of a digital replica of an environment and start there. Um, because the thing is, when we go through these scenarios, uh, we could very rapidly, you know, revert parameters. We can very, we could go back to zero in every single change, or we could just hop from parameter to parameter or dozens or different parameters uh, and test the outcomes each time. Because remember, this is done in a neural network. Mm -hmm. It's not done on premises and it's not done uh, at the cost of the customer that lives at uh, in the virtualized AI neural network. Um, and so if, if that can be done in some use cases in a single digital twin, it'll be done in a single digital twin. Uh, where the vision of this thing goes, um, where reinforcement learning, by the way, reinforcement learning isn't like the exclusive go-to capability that we're putting out there. That happens to be this first use case. Uh, and there's actually a, a few others coming out um, where reinforcement learning is front and center. Um, so where there's gonna be needs and scenarios that uh, we can build parallel um, uh, environments um, to, to, to test maybe uh, scenarios that scale beyond the single digital twin, sure, we could use multiple. It's all software, right? It's all software mm -hmm. and resources that get eliminated when I'm done, um, get maintained, get reset to zero. Uh, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good that can be done. I think I think you answered my question because I was thinking each digital twin is like its own experiment. But yeah. the way I now understand it, the digital twin is just a sandbox which you run multiple experiments in, yeah. basically, right? Yeah. Kind of continuously, right? And then you use that to then apply it to the real world. Okay, yeah, cool. And, and you know the, the Chad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I got a question, but I'll, you know, which is when you're looking at network analysis, I look at the dynamic nature of, of, you know, my data center sometimes where there are just things out of bounds that, you know, I can't really predict. And I'm just wondering on, in AI and machine learning, whether, you know, we're making progress when we're looking at networking or security, for instance, where you're looking at patterns and then you're dynamically determining what to do based on recognizable patterns or places, things that you're learning that shouldn't be happening or should be happening. And 
and then making adjustments accordingly because as an IT guy, I can't, I can't be watching it 24 by seven and yet I need the ability to, 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 to solve these problems. Yeah. And, and you're, you're touching on a much bigger problem as well. First of all, um, vSAN, the example I'm using here is heavily network dependent, right? So how do we optimize vSAN and ignore the network? You, you basically can't, right? So uh, a lot of the early testing um, had to say, well, if I'm having a storage IO problem, for example, what does that mean for the network? Do I sit there and troubleshoot spindles? No, right? But the human might, <laughs> the human might uh, look at their, you know, their per disk metrics or, or some other metric, right? We need to say that actually the problem for this app on this host is that there's a downstream uh, MTU misconfiguration. Right. And I have to have modeled that to understand that. Now there is uh, a more interesting part to this. Uh, and that is um, a, a piece that we haven't announced or released yet, but it's, it's part of our vision and that's been put out there. And that is um, network optimization, pure network optimization uh, as the second phase of SDDC optimization. And here we're looking at things like uh, round trip times, latencies and all that. And because of this digital twin leveraging very similar technologies, we can virtually measure the impact to things like latency and RTT um, based on any number of parameters changing. We could understand scalability requirements um, without having to scale and see it first. We can virtually scale, right? We can, um, you know, th there's, I mean, the use cases just become pretty vast. But what you'll still happen over time is so far what I've been talking about is you know storage uh, owning an SLO and networks opening uh, owning an SLO or KPIs. What we really need is the application to own that KPI and the SLO being tied to the application, so that when I'm optimizing at the app level, every single component or ecosystem product that touches that application is what right. lives in the digital twin. It's what's modeled, it's what's optimized. And, and that's really the North Star. Um, and, and I think uh, we are very uniquely positioned as VMware uh, and the Cloud Management BU, as well as um, some of our sister BUs to, to tackle that very efficiently and effectively right. for our right. customers. Yeah, it, it's interesting you bring that, that whole dependency on the app up and stuff. Yeah, how many times I've had to go down to a data center at two in the morning trying to track down something that actually resulted from something I did a month ago, right? That I didn't realize that there was this cascade of events that were happening from some thing that I did you know, there was totally legit, but because I can't see the whole picture monitor and have like a whole AI engine in my head, I thought we were good. And then slowly we weren't. And then I'm now trying to figure out why. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that figuring out why is the hardest part. And it right. happens to be where we focus. Um, and this is called the explainability part of what we're doing. We've taken um, a lot of uh, time and investment to focus on explainability. And, and this, is, this is something that I think has impacted general industry adoption of these types of tools. It's that no practitioner, and I know when I, when I was the person responsible for this stuff, no practitioner wants software to take over their day-to-day -day because, not because I'm afraid of I'll be out of the job, but because I need to know what's going on. I need to explain to somebody else why things are good or bad. I need to selfishly take credit for it. So. Right what we spend a significant amount of resources on is being able to explain every step of the way, what happened, why it happened, 
um, the scenario written around that down to the KPI, how it impacted your KPI and what your overall happiness is or should be at this point. And, and we take, um, uh, and, and that's had this gorgeous UI experience is that I just wanna be able to look at a dashboard and not have to drill in, not have to do anything after I enable this thing. I just wanna say things are good, things are happy, things weren't happy, they are now happy. I could use that to maybe reverse engineer and troubleshoot, but the point is it's already been fixed. I don't, I don't want to uh, have to respond or react. I need these systems to start operating at the same operational efficiencies as I'd expect a public cloud provider to operate. Yep. Hey, hey Jed, before I, I, I love the explainability uh, UI that we have in uh, vRealize uh, AI Cloud. Maybe we could like try to make this, we can, we can now uh, focus on sort of what we've already done, particularly around vSAN and sort of talk about some of those optimizations and then, then you know, carry that forward into the discussion around the um, explainability UI too, because I know there's some very concrete examples we have now. Yep. Sure. So a couple of VMworlds ago, um, it was VMworld 2018, uh, Pat was on stage and he announced this thing called Project Magna, um, which has now uh, been known as Virealize AI. And back then it was like this early work we were doing, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of science experiments really, um, to see, you know, where, you know, how we could best deliver capabilities to our customers and, and what our customers are asking for. And we landed on vSAN optimization as the absolute best initial use case. And it's based on, you know, what I've already mentioned is that vSAN is such a hugely capable product because it's software defined and really what we can do with it is a lot. What we can unleash and unlock is a lot, but it, it is most optimized when it understands the workload that's running on it. Today, what we do is we say, hey, this is software defined. You can use storage policies. Once it's in your environment, you can optimize it for your workload. Um, but what if the customer didn't have to do that? What if we made the recommendation for storage policies? What if we automatically optimized under the covers for the particular workloads? And so we got um, the, the green light and the R&D resources to start drilling into that. And, and then last year, VMworld, not 2020, 2019, we showed a little bit of a sneak peek. Then we went into beta and, um, and then at VMworld 2020, we were um, we did the uh, initial availability IA of um, Virealize AI vSAN optimization, and uh, I've already explained my way through in explaining ML and explaining some of the concepts here. I've explained what we're doing with vSAN optimization, and it's essentially learning, and experiencing, modeling, doing it in a digital twin, and doing this continuously and uniquely for a customer's environment. Um, and, uh, and that product is available uh, as part of the um, vRealize Cloud Universal. It's uh, vRealize Cloud Universal customers get vRealize AI. So it's, um, it's our, our initial deliverable, uh, if you may, part of something much grander, much, much broader, uh, which you'll start hearing about more this year. And, and then, of course, our launch season at VMworld, uh, a lot of, lot more exciting stuff. But that's a been a, it's been a big hit. Every single one of our beta customers said they would absolutely deploy this in production um, just based on their beta experience. And that explainability UI, uh, that gorgeous UI if, uh, is, uh, is a big reason for that, right? Customers don't want to shift through or sift through uh, dashboard after dashboard um, and then 
you know, have to gather and correlate data and then determine how to respond. And we've done a tremendous amount of work in our portfolio to help that workflow happen. In a lot of cases that should have just happened, right? And I should just tell you what the result is and that's it, right? And then we mm -hmm. use our operations tools to operate the environment and realize AI does the, the, the continuous uh, optimization work. So we started with uh, vSANS, the storage, then where do we go from here? What's, what sort of things would we look at next? So I, I, um, I, I kind of hinted on it. Um, the, the thing that, uh, that customers are seeing now roll out um, is uh, what's called the SPBM Genie. So for the vSAN customers out there, um, storage policies uh, or storage, uh, the, the, the SPBMs that we use to create storage policies that you could apply to your environments and optimize based on your preferences. Um, those are, again, a hugely powerful capability. It's software defined. I can define things like availability and RAID uh, and performance and caching and reservations and all this stuff at the, at the storage level with vSAN. Um, and we've done some analysis, um, some, some backend work and spoke to a ton of customers and realized that while hugely capable, um, the SPBMs aren't as widely used as you would expect it to be based on the impact to the environment because customers don't really understand the outcome. Well, if I could model that outcome for you and in fact, make the recommendation of which SPBM, or which policy will best suit the needs of your vSAN clusters, well, why not? So that is um, the, the newest addition to Virilize AI and that's the SPBM genie. And we explain it again the explainability UI uh, and being able to go in and tell you exactly why this decision was made based on the data we see um, and the experiences we've had in your environment. Uh, and that uh, has, has gotten a lot of attention from our, our, our design partners and, and beta customers um, because it, it will truly unlock uh, and help accelerate the use of SPBMs. Um, so now we have two complementary capabilities, this under the covers continuous optimization self-driving and SPBM genie that says, this storage policy will best suit the needs of your environment. Then you complement them and we're, you know, the continuous stuff continues. So what's the uh, storage policy? What's the BM? What's the-, uh, the Based uh, management. Okay, uh, yeah. storage policy based management. Okay, cool. Cool, sounds good. Um, Eric, anything uh, before we transition to sort of what's, what's next for uh, JAD and folks? Oops, I think Eric's frozen. Chad, you're still there, right? Yeah, he's either enthralled <laughs> or frozen. He's, he's frozen, I think. Um, so let's, uh, well, why don't we, he'll probably come back or jump, come back in or something in a minute here. And, uh, but why don't we, um, let's just wait and we'll repeat that piece of it. So it's he drops, he'll come back in. Let's hold on here. Julia, you there still? She might be, I don't know. Yes, I'm here. So uh, we lost Eric, we're waiting on him to come back in. Let's keep recording, give him a few minutes. And All when right. he comes, I will give him a few cut. minutes. If not, I will keep recording because we're almost at the end of it anyway. Yeah, if he doesn't come back, we can just wrap up you by yourself. Oh, there, he there we go. All right, so I think we lost you somewhere around, let's pretend we lost you because we didn't We didn't really know we lost yeah, no, you. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I heard, I did have one You follow. You were on, I, I know you yeah. were on. I just, uh, I had, the, the I had, video froze. Uh, right. I um, had, 
I had one follow-up question, which I thought Chad made an interesting point. I did, I did hear all of you guys, so I was just kind of hearing. But so frozen. let's start with your question. Wherever he ended, we'll pick up, and let's start with your question. All right, great. So, so my question is, and it's more like a comment, Chad, which is you mentioned the the beta feedback of the UI, and I find that really interesting because for me, there is this this disconnect between machine learning and AI, and then allowing people to somehow use it, right? And I think Alexa did a really good job of like hiding all the complexity of you know what's happening out in the cloud and just giving you a simple interface to engage with an AI engine. It's not kind of it's where apples and oranges here. But I find it interesting that you guys have somehow done a really good job building a GUI that allows you to take advantage of this without the complexity of trying to figure out what you're engaged with. There is a, because I think that to make it really work, you have to figure out how to allow people to engage with it in a productive way that doesn't get over overly complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, so that's exactly right. And, and actually I'm going to steal a, uh, an example. So my boss, uh, so Mike Wookie is a CTO of uh, CMBU. He um, he points to Ubiquity networks um, and and Ubiquity uh, for those who who are fanboys and gals of Ubiquity. Ubiquity has done an incredible job, basically rebuilding their entire UI experience. And 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 Mike always says the first thing you see when when he logs into Ubiquity is everything is good, or Things aren't good, right? Right, right. Uh, and Ubiquity leverages AI heavily um, for for these networks, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And again, not apples to apples, but it, it's the experience we're talking about here. Right. And so right. Um, while we weren't pointing at that and saying that's what we want, um, that's just an example that others might understand. What we wanted our our UI to represent is, isn't what you can do; it's what you didn't have to do, right? Uh, right. And what you didn't yeah. have to yeah. do, uh, in fact, it's right. not just right. what you didn't have to do, it's what you didn't know you had to do, right? right. Or you didn't know you didn't have to do, right? Um, but for those like me and and a lot of folks watching this, you, you probably at least want to know what happened. And so while I can tell you everything is good or I can tell you you've improved in this way, um, I also want to show you here's exactly what's happened. And I think that's critical, not just for that peace of mind, which is, um, in, in my opinion, kind of a roadblock for, for, for mainstream ML um, operations adoption. But it's also, I need to be able to explain why this stuff is valuable to my peers, to my uh, leadership. And I need to be able to explain why things are going so well or, or not. And then I have the rest of the CMBU portfolio to help me to dig in where needed. Um, and in fact, if I can't optimize, we actually call it out. Uh, here's, here's why this host isn't optimizing like the rest of the other hosts or this app isn't optimized. And then we can point you into the, to the operations tools for the break fix piece. Now, long-term, hey, self-healing is certainly around the corner, um, leveraging these capabilities. Yeah, I like, uh, there are a couple thoughts on the UI. I've seen it uh, from the demos and things uh, you guys did at VMworld. Um, but like you said, it's um, it's not what you should do, right? So it's not it's not a UI to go in and figure out your algorithms and things like that. You've already done that, and and in the digital twin, you're applying those. And 
what the UI shows you is, hey, here's all the things that we found that really made a difference in the digital twin, basically, right? And here's how we applied them. And here's the incremental improvement. Each one of those, those things got you, right? So you can see, oh, I got a little bit from this, a little bit from that. And things that, you know, the way humans work, you'd never would have done because they're so fine grained often that you just a human wouldn't have found them it's like they're just yeah. like you wouldn't have come up with those things you said or you would have come up with them and said oh that makes such a small difference i'm not going to do it right but it's like when you add up all the things you found in the digital twin they can make a huge impact 50 percent improvement in performance and things like yeah. that right That's yeah, pretty cool. This, for me this stuff also becomes really important it's easy to ignore it because i've run data centers and i know what i'm doing it's all great and you know yeah we put in new machines now and then but when you start talking about modern apps right with uh, microservices and you're breaking the apps apart and you have these interconnects that are happening from service to service it starts becoming harder to just say that oh i can get it i know what i'm doing you really actually need a smarter engine out there to be able to allow you to transition and you know kubernetes is you know what we're all digesting now right our classic it admins like myself guys are coming and going like okay i get kubernetes now by just upgrading to vsphere 7 but like to manage you know new now in modern apps and i'm going to deploy my first set of them and now i have to have a management framework and an AI framework that's actually keeping track of yeah. the applications and the application dependencies, that becomes something that you're just not going to do on your own. Yeah, I think I, I was just to add a comment to that, Eric, because I think we've moved past the zone of a nice to have for AI and ML to a must have simply because the scale of operations is so much yeah. bigger than it used to be. You just can't and, keep and track Eric, of it as a human. And Eric touched on it. Complexity is, is key. And a little tidbit here, two years ago, um, this whole effort started with Kubernetes optimization. Um, right. And, and so we, we basically um, uh, experimented at, the, at, at our ultimate goal. Now we're kind of building the foundation to all that, and we're going to end up at the application again. And, and Eric, like, like you mentioned, the, the complexities here are, are just not manageable anymore, right? Kubernetes is not as easy as it's said right. to be, um, and it's not just Kubernetes, but the entire application oh. stack and the complexity of the right. infrastructure and the ecosystem and the dependencies and the upstream Endpoints and impact yep. of any given change. Um, right. And this is, a, uh, this is the answer to our customers that say, how do I run at the operational efficiency of this public cloud provider? Because we're seeing this full circle happen where the private clouds are coming back. And, we, and this is it, this is how you have to operate in this next gen world and, um, and, and we're answering the mail on that. Yeah, that's that's what I learned. You know, I, I put Kubernetes on Raspberry Pis and I built my little cluster and I have a cluster and then I built little uh, Raspberry Pi sensor apps that we, we were controlling through Kubernetes pods. And I was, you know, it's like, but even those simple things, you're starting to look at how many dependencies I have on things that are in the stack that are in these layers. And you're like, yeah, if I were going to do this in a big production environment, uh, I would need you just need to start with tools and you need to start with AI and you need to start with endpoint management. It's like, yeah. this becomes something that as we all learn Kubernetes, vSphere 7 and Spherelets and that, and being competent as IT guys and architecting this, you know, this is just like Dave says, Dave, you said it right. It's, it's now a must have as yeah. part of this next solution that we're going to all start to work with. Exactly. Cool. Hey, I think it's a good discussion, Jed, on uh, ML and uh, how it's impacting operations management and application and infrastructure management. Uh, 
maybe you can uh, let us, you know, let our audience know sort of how they can learn more. I know you guys did some of the stuff for VMworld. I think it's still up. I think VMworld stuff is still up. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so there's a couple of sessions specifically on this topic. Uh, one more industry high level um, that myself and my quickie um, put out there. Uh, and then, um, and then there's one where, uh, where I, I drive uh, into vSAN optimization primarily. Um, and in there, you're going to learn a lot of what we're doing. Um, I highly recommend, obviously, watching those videos. Um, but, but we've only scratched the surface with optimization, right? And, and uh, so be on the lookout for, um, for a whole lot more coming this year. Uh, we're expanding into diagnosis. Um, and we're expanding into prediction, uh, leveraging ML and, and these neural networks um, heavily uh, into explainability. And instead of just focusing on uh, each of these as a domain, like network optimization and storage optimization and uh, placement optimization, all this stuff, we're talking about um, a, a system that's designed to intelligently work together. And, and so incrementally, that's, that's our goal. And the app is going to be king. Um, so, you know, keep, keep on the lookout. Um, I'll, I'll be a little bit social uh, about it on that virtual JAD, but... Uh, but between now and VMworld, certainly a ton uh, will be coming out. Uh, and there's a, a few URL, URLs that are available for more information um, today on, on how, to, um, how to get more information. We'll post those. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, uh, great to hear hear about this. Um, I'm excited about it. In uh, my take, I'll have another comment here. So as long as it's a podcast, we get to chat a little bit. Um, uh, I would say that I, I spent the holiday moving my work, some of my workloads off of Amazon, right? Because you go to Amazon because of speed and the ability to just do it, right? And then you slowly start getting your bills, right? And then you start looking at checkbox items that you want to bring back on-prem because I have a rack in San Jose. I have some things we run gaming servers, things like that. And eventually you go like, you know, this is costing more than, you know, a machine would cost me, you know, if I just put it and set it up, mm -hmm. rent it, and, you know, like I could put a whole vSphere instance of it, do that. And you start realizing you do, you really want the, you want it on-prem, right? Because of just the cost, right? Uh, purely cost, but yet you want the simplicity of, you know, and we, we put it, we put our workloads on VMs. I have machines with VMs running and uh, you want that simplicity of what you got in the cloud, right? Uh, and you want the reliability, but you just know that you're not going to keep those apps up running, uh, you know, and, and getting that bill, right? And so, uh, and, yeah. And, and then some, keep in mind that most cloud providers won't tweak their backend based on the needs of your application. Right. Very yes. generically, right. you know, butter spread, right? Right. So our one-up on that, for, for especially you know when we see this demand coming back to the SDDC and VMware Cloud and, and uh, VMC or uh, VMware Cloud uh, uh, on-prem instantiations, is that yeah uh, we yeah. don't want to just say okay well now you're equal um, and you got what you want at the efficiencies you want now it's like and then here's uh, some added benefit it is right. unique to you and it's continuously made unique to the changing, very actively changing needs of the environment uh, and the application. So, so we feel that, um, and of course this becomes part of a much broader multi-cloud right. strategy that every one of our customers are looking at. And, and we have a lot of really great ideas uh, being put together for that as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think every business has their own uniqueness around bringing their apps back or having their apps on prem, right? There's a we had our own uniqueness of why we want to do it. There was price, but there were also other things that we wanted to do build into the app that we wanted to, you know, have it on prem versus, you know, out floating in the cloud. So I think everybody has their own uniqueness. And certainly VMware, even though, you know, I work at VMware and I want to say that, yeah, we're the added value that we give you better infrastructure than they do. The reality is we had other reasons that we also wanted to bring it on-prem, yeah. right? That, that So everybody has their own, but it's good that VMware is also able to add additional value, right? Yeah, and, Not, I, yeah. and I, we shouldn't forget also that as we, you know, bring the SDDC into the hyperscaler clouds that these same technologies will be running there yep. too to op- optimize those environments. Yep. So that's important. Um, yeah, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah, good stuff. So, uh, what? Anything else you think? You know, you talked a little bit about what you're doing for the balance of the year and around AI. Anything else big you so, want to mention? While you have a very up? ambitious portfolio uh, and a development cycle, and um, again, lots of really great things coming out this year. Uh, of course, the big splash will be at VMworld, um, but that's rinse and repeat. I mean, we have a multi-year strategy here. Um, but I think it's 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 been it's been very exciting, um, very unique capabilities. Uh, something that we we at VMware uh, take for granted is is our position um, and and what we can do uh, for our customers because of that, right? And this yeah. is exactly us doing this. Um, so we focus on that, and um, and uh, it's it's kept us pretty busy. And- All right. All right. Perfect. Well, I always to 2021, I, everyone. I, yeah. I always, I always end up with. I see on your whiteboard there. Maybe that's a Twitter handle up in the right, uh, right hand corner oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Virtual what is Jad. virtual, virtual Jad? Virtual Jad. Now, don't go to my blog because I haven't blogged since my because VRA Virtualize Automation was uh, and automation was my expertise up until I joined uh, Octo, um, and I have totally let my followers down and stopped blogging, but I'm going to reboot that thing. That is one of my new year's resolutions. Um, so virtual jad on Twitter, uh, virtual jad.com is uh, All right. blog. So people that are just listening to the audio, it's virtual J A D. So there you go. Yeah. Sounds Give like him a chat. follow, <laughs> say hello. Give him a follow, say hello. Tell him you heard, heard it on the uh, multi-cloud podcast. With Eric and David. Cool. Yeah. All righty. Thanks everyone. Thanks right. everyone. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. It's good having you.